0: Welcome to Master Your Money, the podcast that teaches you how to take control of your hard-earned money all while living your best life. I am your host, Elizabeth Heiza, Chief Marketing Officer at the Barnum Financial Group. I once felt powerless when it came to managing my finances and my attitude followed suit until one day I changed my mindset, built up my knowledge, and put myself back into a financial position of power. And I started this podcast to provide you with the same education and advice that I received on my journey. Now, I wanna help you master your money. Hello, Master Your Money listeners. Today we are here with Dr. Dara Lee Barbera. Dara Lee is a professor. A professional business coach, consultant, speaker, and author. And Daryl Lee is the 70th recipient of the Will G. Farrell Service Award presented by N-A-I-F-A-L-A and the Society of FSP. She's gonna have to tell us what all that means, which I know she will. Dr. Daryl Lee has been featured in almost every publication under the sun, some notable ones as Forbes.com, the Wall Street Journal business wire, financial planning, investment news. Um, Dara Lee's focus is on behavioral finance. And she is an expert in this arena. I just read to you Dara Lee's formal bio, but her informal bio, um, the one that I like to talk about, is uh, Dara Lee and I met at a women in investing conference out in Chicago. No surprise, Dara Lee was one of the speakers on a panel talking about behavioral finance. And I was just struck by everything Dara Lee had to say. In her work, Dara Lee helps to educate financial advisors and clients on consumer buying patterns and some of the the internal struggles that an investor will go through when trying to make money moves. And she helps educate people on a lot of the factors that exist in that space. But what I love most about Dara Lee, and I didn't know this until after I approached her, is that she was a financial advisor early on in her career. So she has worked with hundreds of of clients along the way, consumers along the way. But then she moved into leadership of financial advisors. So then she led financial advisors in that space. And now in this phase of her career, where she is just dedicated to this behavioral finance space, she is educating both financial advisors and consumers on all topics, behavioral finance. Um, Dara Lee is going to be a wealth of knowledge today. This is an episode where you want to have a pen handy because you are going to be jotting things down as you should. So let's dive right into it. Dara Lee, welcome to our show.
1: Thank you, Elizabeth, so much. I'm so happy to be here on Master Your Money podcast. And I love that our audience uh, today are the clients. Yes.
0: Yes, absolutely. Um, let's just dive right in because this is a topic. I love the why about everything. I love why we do what we do. So tell us about behavioral finance. What, what is it to
1: find that for us? Well, and I too, Elizabeth love the why of what we do. And I think that's probably, um, For all of us just such a wonderful opportunity to like sit, reflect, think about why do we make the decisions that we make on a daily or moment to moment basis? And then much less, why do we make the decisions that we make about money? And as we look at what really is behavioral finance, if we look at it from a um, purely academic point, um, it is looking at really the Psychological influences that can affect market outcomes. And that's kind of a lot to want to wrap your arms around as an investor or a consumer, because really I like to look at it like, what can, well, life in general anyway, about what are the things that we can control? So if we think about what can we as an investor actually control, how does behavioral finance affect us? And so simply, I like to look at behavioral finance as Why do we make the money decisions that we make? Why do we make the choices that we make? And really, it's about becoming um, very in touch with ourselves so that we can make better, more informed decisions and choices um, about our financial planning and so forth. And so, um, yeah, behavioral finance, as applies to us, to people, is just a place that we want to just keep digging in and learning uh, yes. more about. That, is, that yeah. is an
0: endless journey. I mean, to think that, that you as an individual investor can affect market outcomes is, is pretty crazy. And I think a concept that not a lot of people think about.
1: Yes. That's a lot though, right? Yes.
0: <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yes, of course. But before we get into it, tell us how you got here. Tell us about, about your journey.
1: Well, my journey to the financial planning profession came from being a client. I was a 20-something math teacher. I had gone to school, got a degree in math. I had a master's in education and I was doing exactly what I had planned on, which was teaching high school math by day and teaching college by night. And then I had my financial plan done. And not only did I love the math, because the numbers were phenomenal, and a way of looking at the math that I had not ever been exposed to. But I decided then and there, everyone I knew needed a financial plan. Because it really changed the whole way that I looked at getting up in the morning to just everything. The financial advisor asked me questions about how did I feel about where I was? What did I have for long-term goals and objectives? When was I going to die? I mean, here I was 20-something. I had been on this fast pace, getting my bachelor's, getting my master's, getting my job. Those were the last things that I was thinking about as a 20-something-year-old. But indeed, any time is a good time to be thinking about those things. But sooner the better because you can do small things that have huge impact in the long run. So never too soon and, of course, never too late. So
0: I love that. Not very many people do put a financial plan in place in their 20s. So the fact that that you started that process early and then I love hearing your financial advice, you ask you feelings questions, goals questions. and I'm sure you're going to go into this because sometimes it's not all about the numbers
1: right. And as a math person, you can imagine how I felt was far from my mind. you know yep. that was not very relevant to me at that moment. Yeah, so. and you may not have known those answers. Well, I didn't even know they were questions. So <laughs> I sure didn't know the answers. Yes. yes. Yeah.
0: But still, they probably stuck in your head. And oh. throughout the course of your life, those those answers, you know, may ch- will will change a 100 times over.
1: Yes. And I'll never forget how I felt having that financial plan done. And just knowing that you either have a plan on purpose or you have one by accident. Oh, you've got a plan. That is the quote of the day. Say that again, yeah. girly. Say it um, louder. That, you either, that you either have a plan on purpose or you have a plan on accident and that you are going to hit some target. You might as well aim at it and nail it. So because
0: life is going to happen. Whether absolutely. You, whether you plan for it or not.
1: Yes. And indeed, that's what financial planning is about. The things that are planned and the things that are unplanned. Yes. And having a plan for the unplanned.
0: So your, you know, your journey started when you became a client, is that what made you doing your first plan? Is that what made you be an an advisor to help others with their? Yes.
1: And the last thing I planned on doing was to quit teaching, but I was able to have this full, beautiful career and retire a little bit early, get my doctorate and loop back around to my goal, which was to be a teacher and uh, to educate. So, <laughs> so it took a few decades, but That's I'm okay. <laughs> But you, you
0: had so much real world experience. How long were you a yeah. financial
1: advisor? How long were you
0: actively working with clients?
1: I was actively working with clients for 34 years. Oh uh, the first gosh. four of those, I built a practice really from scratch and um, never intended to quit teaching. But after about three months, I had literally so many people that needed financial plans. I had to pick. So I chose the adults over the kids, I like to say, because it matters so much. And um, I was able to bring in lots of people to help me who were also very good quantitatively um, to learn how to do planning so that we could get these plans out to people because it mattered so much. And then sort of by accident, I went into um, leadership because I had hired and trained so many people. I had this team and then I spent 30 years as um, what we would call a managing principal and I built many branch offices and hundreds of financial advisors and we really used education as the centerpiece for our practices. We would give classes continually and educate our clients so that they could make knowledgeable and informed choices. That is extensive in those
0: 34 years working with clients plus your years in leadership Give me a number, Daryl How many financial plans do you oh. think you've touched, helped, implemented?
1: Do you know, it's kind of funny. I knew you might ask that. <laughs> and I was thinking, well, gee, what if I only looked at two financial plans a day? That would be like 17,000. Oh my and, gosh. And I was actively involved in so many clients, you know, thousands of clients actually over those years. And I was so... Um, you know, honored to be able to be part of their planning throughout their lives. And some clients I got to stick with for, you know, three, three and a half decades. And then even after I retired to stay in touch and watch the power of their early planning. Oh, I want to talk about that. Oh my gosh. Just so, so rewarding and so reaffirming that you just put that plan in place. The power of early planning. I love that. Yes. Another
0: quote, folks. Rob, we're two <laughs> minutes in and two two amazing quotes down.
1: Oh, that's great. So yeah. you did exactly what you thousands said. thousands did of exactly financial plans Yes, exactly. And it just matters so much. I mean, um, I um, I don't care how much money you have or how little money you have or how much you make or how little you make. You need a plan.
0: Yes, not how much you make. It's how much you save, how much you yes. manage. And now tell us. Uh, quickly about the transition from leadership to now what you do now, you know, is, is a 30 something year career. Did that help you make this transition into behavioral finance?
1: Well, yes. The first, once I got my doctorate, the first program director that I went to go teach classes for asked me now, do you know anything about behavioral finance? And I said, oh, I hope so. <laughs> because <laughs> we have a lot of people know in trouble anything. if I yes. don't. I've <laughs> so, loved it, yes. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, and it's just being a student of what's important about money to people, what's important to people, and how do they feel about their life's journey just every step of the way. And that's so important. And that we get to, as financial advisors, come to the table and help pull that all together for folks and um, make it all work
0: and that's what we want to we want the audience to to walk away with today is we want the audience to walk away with a solid understanding of how psychology plays a very significant role with how you handle money it's not all black and white
1: yes exactly and it's one real easy way to think about it is when we look at an iceberg we get to see the part above the water mm-hmm. well that's our um Those are our investment behaviors, right? We get to view those things. But below the water, we all know that there's a lot more to the iceberg, right? It's usually a lot bigger down below. Mm -hmm. So below the water, that's where we have our beliefs. You know, why did we do those things? We have our emotion. We have the psychology behind those behaviors that we're observing. And so it's really the below the waterline part that we as professionals get to have a good understanding of. And that, you know, the, the whole client planner relationship is indeed a relationship, right? The advisor has some work to do. They have some jobs they're responsible for, but the client has really the most important job. It's for them to really be in touch with how they feel and to bring that to the table You know, what's important about where they are to them? What's important about maybe their top three goals, but importantly, what are they hopeful for? What are they afraid of? And their risk tolerance, you know, everyone's an individual permission granted. You get to feel how you feel, Sure. you know, and so that's the, the above the waterline. And then we're going to help people figure out what's going on below. And just to work with it, there is no wrong, you know, it's not wrong or right. It is what it is. And then let's just understand and help that to inform our choices or to understand why we choose as we do.
0: So your work focuses on that below the waterline with beliefs, emotions, I would imagine values. Yes.
1: All the things that go into the observable behaviors. So
0: and you know, in your years now, being a behavioral finance expert, um but then combined with your years of working with clients, do you feel as though most clients know those their below the line kind of features? Do you feel like people can communicate or articulate their beliefs, values
1: about money? sometimes? And I also think it's a moving target. Mm-hmm. You know, when I teach classes, most of the classes that I teach are the students are financial professionals. They're um, people that are financial advisors, it's um, leaders of financial services companies and so forth. I mean, it's people that do, that are professionals in the practice of financial services. And some of the content in our classes will actually surprise, they will surprise themselves when we study biases and heuristics and money scripts. So here are professionals and they get to sit back and think about themselves and they'll even be surprised. So I think that if I use that as sort of a gauge trying to answer your question, I, I think that probably we all have that um, assignment to be in touch with ourselves and we don't all have all the answers. So
0: yeah, um, self-awareness, yeah, I, I would imagine plays a very, very big part and and in so many aspects of why we do the things we do, but let's specifically stay with money. Um you know, I would imagine when money comes up, immediately, people get feelings about things. Sometimes it's you know, it could be money scarce. Sometimes their goals jump into their head. Um sometimes people think about whatever their parents thought and felt about money. But without self-awareness, you may not even know. What your beliefs and values are
1: well, and that's interesting what you said you know about what our parents you know like the really the money scripts that we can come to the table with. it is kind of interesting to think about um what's our first experience with money, you know, or what did we grow up around, you know, and does that really inform and impact the choices that we make today, and it may be surprisingly. Uh, Yes, it does. And then you have to stand back and go, okay, often those old money beliefs are ones that we've left unchallenged all our life, and they may not be functional or appropriate anymore. um, And we may need to replace them with more useful tools. What is the money script? Well, my answer to that is that it's an interior aspect of financial planning. But if we can just frame it up with what's a financial plan, right? Oh, beautiful. So a financial plan is where we take a snapshot of the moment for the client. And we're looking at two things. We're looking at really the exterior aspects of the money and the interior. And that means the exterior is usually what people think of, right? When I had my financial plan done, I thought it was just about the numbers, the math. Mm -hmm. So the exterior aspects of the financial plan it's the money. It's more the academic. It's quantitative. That's dollars in, dollars component. out. Yep. Yes, yes. And then the other side, that's the interior aspects. That's the qualitative components. That's the how do you feel about where you are? And that's where the money scripts or biases can come into play. Mm-hmm. So when we look at both of those, actually, the quantitative and the qualitative, we actually need to look at the past, what has the client historically done? We look at today because we need to know what they did in the past, how does it inform today? If we ignored the past, that would be silly, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so because there might be some some history there that really does inform what's going on today. And then we want to look at today really carefully so we can set goals for the future and can we attain them and make them realistic plans. So when we look at the past, that's where the money scripts often come in and often where some of our biases come in. Um, And so there's really four typical money scripts. And one of them would be that I'll just tell you the titles of them. So money avoidance, money worship, money status and money vigilance. So those would mean things like money avoidance. It's based on the belief that money is basically bad. There are some people that they actually feel that way and it creates a lot of anxiety for them. So they
0: avoid talking about money, yes. uh, managing money, maybe even you know making money because they just have this kind of resistance, this avoidance to it.
1: Yes, Elizabeth, you actually hit the nail on the head that they may really feel inside that they don't deserve to have money. So, so that would be more that money avoidance. Okay, And then there's money worship where someone might believe that money is the answer. It will make them happier. It yes. will solve all their problems. Um, they might have the belief that if only they had more money, everything would be better. Okay. So that's more the that money. to everything. Yep. Yes. That's more that money worship. And then there's the money status where someone might equate their self-worth to their net worth or they might believe that your success equates to how much money do you earn? So more that status approach. And then the last is money vigilance, where it's someone might be more inclined to, they're gonna save, they're not gonna spend, they're very private about their money, um, great discretion around money. So those are kind of the four categories. And, you know, like with anything that we look at, it's all relative, mm-hmm. right? And it's not like you're either one or the other. It's not like one is good and one is bad. And then, why do we want self awareness? I always like to look at it like when people are stressed or they're in a position of feeling pressured to make a decision or choice. What do people usually do? They go back to their natural way of doing things as a reaction, as a quick in a blink. They go back to that. So if you can understand that, really, you grew up in a household maybe where, well, like myself, for example, I grew up in a household where my mother raised us that to talk about money was very impolite. And you would never ask anyone about their money. And you would certainly never talk about anyone's money. And so my poor mother, she has four children and we all went into financial planning. (laughs) Isn't that the way? All of us.
0: (laughs) You were so silent for so long. I guess so.
1: (laughs) And now that's all we do is talk about money. Oh, that's so funny. So funny. But that was something that truly I had to get past it. I had to realize that this was critical. This was an area where, where someone needed to talk about it or give someone someone to talk about it who was qualified and capable and interested in helping guide towards solutions. I mean, that was like a big leap, I think for all four of us. Sure. Yeah. So when, um, that's a good example. That's a great, <laughs> that's a great example.
0: Um, so when you talk about money script, really, you're, it sounds to me like you're talking about the script in our head the script that we tell ourselves yes. about money.
1: Is that yeah. accurate? Yes. Yes. Yeah. You know, I, I think so. I mean, some people would call them many tapes, but yes. I mean, I don't really, you know, do you play a tape? I mean, yes.
0: <laughs> but it's, it's what we've kind of told ourselves you know, all these years from childhood into, into adulthood. Um, I'm not ready to say it out loud, but I can definitely pinpoint myself into one of these, you know, do people naturally fit into one? Do we go through phases where we may hit all four of these, some parts in our life?
1: Well, if someone decides they want to go get an assessment you and you can go online and there's several oh. to choose from, and that's really fun to do. And what you'll see is there's a relative weighting. Okay. Between them. And so you you can see, oh, I'm really high on whichever one and really low on these, but, but it's not an all or nothing, you know, if you look at the questions. Yeah. Yes.
0: But just good information for you to know, to, to maybe tell your financial advisor.
1: Well, yes, actually. And it might help you with understanding why do I feel so uncomfortable going to a financial advisor, for instance? Um, you know, why do I feel so uncomfortable showing my last three years of tax returns? Well, because maybe it's that, that money vigilance that you really feel that it's so private. And no, I mean, no problem, but it just let the financial advisor know. And I think that's probably the most important job of the client is to be a good reporter to the advisor. The advisor really needs to know things like, how are you feeling? You know, what is your risk tolerance? Is this uncomfortable for you? And to help with that so that we can get you to where you need to go, you know? Exactly.
0: And all the great work that you do and all the great work that all the financial advisors do out there, we know, we can say with certainty, Daryl Lee, that having a financial plan is better than not having a financial plan.
1: Well, you still have one, don't you, Elizabeth? If you don't have one, you've got one. But that's true. Yes, that's true.
0: Accident. Yep. Quote number one. Quote number one. (laughs) Um, But still, so many people don't. So many people, when they hear about putting a financial plan together, that resistance instantly comes up, and they will start to feel uncomfortable inside, and then usually stop the process. Now, sometimes that stopping, you know, could be, um, uh, it, it, you know, I'll use the word excuse, but it could be something like, okay, I'll do it when I do this, or I'll do it when I make more money, or I'll do it when the kids get a little older, something like that.
1: Oh, those are all, I've heard all of those. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah.
0: it really could be one of these money scripts. You know, well, if we were to unpack that feeling a little bit more, it's it's probably one of these money scripts going through our, going through our head.
1: Yes. and what came to my mind as you were speaking about why would someone not do a plan? I think there are so many reasons, but one reason that kind of just was top of mind for me right now, as you spoke is that idea of setting goals and then being on the hook to attain them because goal setting is kind of interesting, right? That you bring in the psychology there too. So maybe someone just had a baby and so the child is going to someday go to college well you may know that but you may not instantly set up a savings program for the college because of things in your background um fears in your background uncertainty in your background but really the best thing to do is to go ahead you have the baby set up i love Make the bucket. The action. yes the bucket approach right set up a little bucket to save money for And maybe don't even call it education if that's not the topic or call it education if it is. And you may feel like, how can I possibly save any money toward education when I have all these other competing priorities? Well, that's certainly not invalid. But if you set up the bucket, you'd be surprised. And then... Put $25 a month, you set up a bank draft out of your savings account. The yes. odds are good. You're never going to miss the $25, but you're going to have thousands of dollars in that bucket by the time the yes. child is 18. If you just stick with 25. If you just stick with it. And, and invest it.
0: Absolutely. And um, if you have it automatically deducted like that, usually you mm-hmm. you don't know what's missing. And right. you know, slowly you can turn up that dial, increase it a few bucks every year, but all that is
1: going to add up. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. exactly. So the bucket approach. The bucket approach,
0: (laughs) money scripts, going online, take an assessment, understand those four money scripts and think about where you think you fall in there. Lee, you also mentioned biases and we hear about biases a lot, right? Investor biases are always in the media. Talk to us about um, what biases we could look for.
1: Well... There are so many biases, but I think just to understand biases and not let it um, dawn to us, it's as we think about, it's kind of like money scripts, right? We have some preconceived beliefs, some notions, some things we have uh, grown to believe to be true by our environment or whatnot. And then those contribute to sometimes our our heuristics and heuristics are really those shortcuts That we use to make quick decisions. And so as we back up from biases, I don't want to forget to mention financial planning is not a quick decision. You get to actually stop. You get to take a beat and you get to make some plans, think about your choices and then put them in place. Then you get to review on a regular basis, modify, change and so forth. So sometimes people don't do financial planning because they don't think it's that way they think they're going to have to go in there make a bunch of rapid fire choices and not be able to change them and financial planning is not that way it's not this that is way. a process and we all get to enjoy it it's a gift to yourself and so.
0: it is a personal process and yes yes Throughout that journey, and I would love your experience here because you are certainly the expert, I would imagine several times in that journey, you're going to freeze up.
1: Oh, thank you. And that is back to when we freeze up or we're scared or we're unsure, we we tend to go back to things that are natural to us. And that could be biases, for instance. I think that... um, Oh, which biases shall we talk about? Um, maybe how about the bandwagon effect? Beautiful. I always like that. It was funny. I was talking about biases to a group of professionals, and I mentioned the bandwagon effect, and not everyone knew what that what a bandwagon would be. So I maybe we should clarify <laughs> that. You know, it's kind of like following the crowd, right? So um, some people might. Want to um, select investments perhaps because of the bandwagon effect. Everybody's investing in, you know, pick a hot stock. So, and what you
0: see on the media, what you hear on the sure. news, the water cooler talk,
1: yes. Go to a cocktail or, party. I was just wants... going to say the cocktail party is, yes. you know, yeah, definitely. Everyone's talking
0: about crypto or something. So, you exactly. Like, okay.
1: Yes. And that would not be. You know, you have a financial plan for a reason. Yes. And you have a financial planner for a reason. Yes. And yes. That that's what I was to, gonna say. Yes. <laughs> and that is to help you with those moments. Yes. You, but you want to take those moments and go, hey, I was at a party last night. Everybody's talking about crypto. Right. Mm-hmm. So so should I? <laughs> yes. And, and then and, listen. And I can't speak for what your financial advisor would say, yes. but yes listen yes
0: but the point is and ask inquire and then listen versus take action and then you know ask later or just go ahead and take an action because that's what you've heard that's great
1: yes and at a cocktail party a valid statement is I'll talk to my planner tomorrow. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Because I have one. I am cool. Yes. (laughs) I am smart. (laughs) Who did you
0: consult before you made the move that you made? Oh, that's great. Exactly.
1: Exactly.
0: All of us at one point in our lives has jumped on a bandwagon of some sort.
1: Well, yes. And, you know, sometimes that helped us make a better decision next time or it was the right thing. I mean, it just depends. But the nice thing is, you've got a financial advisor in your corner who's only going to make recommendations for you based on your plan, based on your plan, not based on what was on, you know,
0: yes. Not based on your neighbor's uh, plan or your, your friend's plan. Exactly. Or how
1: the markets closed in Asia last night, you know? So
0: What's another, what's another biasy people should look out for. How about status
1: quo? I kind of think that's a good one to mention. So that's where you would avoid change. And, um, I think in financial planning, as I think about cases, sometimes when um, someone passes away and they leave assets to the heirs, they are hesitant to make a change. And so I would once again say, you've got to look at your financial plan and your financial planner and look at those assets. I mean, I can think of examples where There were rental properties. Well, the heirs were not equipped to own rental properties. It just was not their thing. And they hung on to it and it was just not the right thing to do or to have um, aggressive equities in the portfolio. And that was so contrary to the client's risk tolerance, but they felt they had to hold on to it because you know, the deceased must've known what they were doing. Well, yeah, they did. They knew what they were doing for themselves and their plan, but they're not here anymore. Yeah. So now it's your plan. Yes. So, um, so I think, you know, I have so many examples of that where it is a refresh, reboot. It's yes. now just you.
0: Yes, because plans- Plans are fluid. Plans can change. They
1: they are. And in fact, you know, to that point, Elizabeth, from the moment that you do your plan, it's already different the next morning when you wake up. Absolutely. Because the markets have changed, life has changed. It's already, I want to say, obsolete, but okay, ready for review. And that's why when we set goals and back to kind of why do some people not want to do a plan? Because Goal setting might feel like a big responsibility or something they just don't want to one more thing to sign up for. But that's where we come in is to help make it happen and make it easy and painless. But resetting is really important to give yourself permission to do. And indeed, it's just a continual series of resets. Sometimes we, yeah, overshoot the goal. Sometimes we're right on target for the goal. Sometimes we're under the goal. So, okay, we just reset. And that is part of the process. It is. And
0: releasing that feeling of, well, I already did my plan, so I'm good. Or, you know, releasing the fact that your plan has to stay exactly the same. Oh,
1: thank you. I mean, just to say, I did my plan. I'm good. Oh. Every financial advisor goes, no, no, no,
0: (laughs) I know. And, you know, when we were prepping, you and I could have gone on forever. We both love this topic, but you had mentioned there is, you know, well over 25 biases. So we're not going to go through all of them, but just give us, just give us one more
1: that we can,
0: we can learn about.
1: Maybe, um, the sunk cost fallacy Hmm. that because you've invested so much in something, oh yes, you don't want to abandon it. Can you give an example? Oh, gosh. Yeah, literally that you've invested so much money into a holding that you don't want to abandon it. But if you look at your financial plan and we think about asset allocation, you know, it could be even that that has grown to be so huge that it's a disproportionate amount of your portfolio and we need to actually bring it down. Sorry, you got to sell some of your favorite stuff because it's just not prudent to have you know, 99% of your holdings in your favorite stock. Yes. You know, yeah. You know, so and so not wanting it's not to give always, up on it. Right. It's not always bad. It could be that it was just so good, but we have to go back to the fundamentals for the long haul there. So yes. I think that could be one. So maybe those are some good ones to um leave with.
0: Well, it just goes to show that there's always a reason behind everything. You know, there's, there's a reason why you're not letting go of that stock, or there's a reason why you made the decision that you made. So having this self-awareness to say, Ooh, I could be stuck in one of these biases here.
1: Yes. Well, and it is, some people don't want to sell ever yeah. much less when it's high. Well, yes. when would you want to sell when it's low? Yes. <laughs> This is where your financial advisor comes in is to of course. help those types of choices.
0: dearly, you spoke a lot at the conference and this is what really pulled me in with you. So I can't wait to talk about this subject, but you talked a lot about kind of our, like a decision-making matrix, like the, the three parts of making a decision.
1: Oh, was- yes. Well, and if you think about what does a financial plan do, and maybe this is one reason people are hesitant to have a financial plan is because- a financial plan is probably going to ask you to make a change. Yes. All right. Because, yes. you know, back forever ago when I'd say to someone, I'd love to do your financial plan they'd go, no, that's okay. And I'd say, well, gosh, if everything you're doing is great, the plan will show you that it is. And if there's anything you could tweak just a little, the plan will show you that too. Right? Mm-hmm. So basically the plan is going to ask the client to make a change somewhere. Which Mm -hmm. is like, how how exciting is that? Well, Mm -hmm. most people, how do they feel about change? Not great, especially with their money. Yes, or with maybe everything in life. With everything, yes. So change is probably people's least favorite thing. So in thinking about change and why are people hesitant to change and what can we do to help people with that process of change? I kind of boiled it down to three things. And that people need to be, Ready, willing, and able to make a change. And that actually, silly as it may sound, um, bubbled up from doing all my doctoral studies. I just finally one moment went, oh my gosh, that's all there is to it. It's ready, willing, and able. And then everything else falls under those umbrellas. And the idea of being ready to make a change to me is the knowledge. They need to have the knowledge to be able to make that change. And knowledge comes in a lot of ways. It's facts, it's skill sets, it's knowledge of your emotion around it, like we've been talking about, maybe spiritual Mm -hmm. knowledge, mental, so knowledge. So that's the first place that I, as an individual, will always look to say, okay, am I ready to make this change? Okay. Is there knowledge that I just don't have?
0: Do I have all the information I need?
1: Yeah. And, and do I know really what is the what of this whole thing? So knowledge is like the what. The second one is the willingness. And that's really two things. That's the motivation to do it. But that's the Why? You know, we all talk so much about what's the most important thing. It's your why. So let's go back to that. It's your why. Mm-hmm. So is it, um, you know, kind of back to the kids going to college, right? What's the why around that? Okay. So. Um, well, that's interesting. If we could pause there,
0: because I think a lot of parents, I have young children, everyone knows I have three young kids. And of course, it it goes without saying I want my kids to go to college, but then when you really think about it, um, if somebody does not value education as much as I do, maybe their why wouldn't be as strong because they're, they're jumping on a bandwagon of, of, of wanting to save for college, you know, maybe they're more interested in the trades or they're more interested in maybe Mm -hmm. entrepreneurship. So there's parts of them, you know, where the bandwagon is saying you got to save for college. As soon as they're born, you got to save, but their why is like, "Mm, I don't, I don't really agree.
1: Well, and respectfully, that's fine Mm -hmm. because Some people, like for myself, I set up um, educational savings accounts and different types of accounts, actually, for my kids from the moment they were born. So some for educational funding, some for non-educational funding, Mm -hmm. and so forth. Um, But I would always, with advisors in training about educational funding programs, say, ask the question, how do you feel about educational funding to clients? And then stop and listen. Because everyone is coming from a different place. And for instance, I can think of clients who they had to pay for their way through school and they were going to let their children do that too. Sure. Because they felt that was an invaluable experience. And then I know clients who they did not want to bias their children toward uh, college. And I know of those clients, their kids, the, the kids have tremendously successful businesses in the trades. Sure, And so you just have to ask the question, then listen, and then we plan around that. And then I did have clients who they were so resistant to setting up educational funding. And it came out to be that they would have offended their parents because the grandparents were going to be paying for that. And that was their culture and what had always happened for generations. And once they explained that, I said, oh, no problem. You know, so it's like ask the question and then just listen. And then we plan around that. Yeah,
0: so, this this is a and I want you to go about able, but um willing is a huge is a huge factor because most people say, Yeah, I'm willing, I'm I'm here, aren't I? But if you unpack that a little bit deeper, truly what is your motivation, what is your why? You know, are you are you coming prepared with that?
1: Yeah, and kind of back to motivation. You know, motivation comes in a lot of different ways. And it whether it's an intrinsic motivation, it's an extrinsic motivation. It's due to a goal orientation. It's self-efficacy or confidence. Mm-hmm. You know, all those things fall under motivation. Mm-hmm. So so that's that, you know, um, being willing. So we have to really stand back and go, am I willing? Yep. And then to, as you said, unpack it and understand it. Yep. And then to be able. And that's the how. How will I do this? So. You know, some people I've seen people come in feeling defeated to their financial planning meeting, their initial one, just going, oh, there's no way I can get out of this where I am. And, you know, we would say, hey, our job is to figure it out. So, so lay it on the table. Tell us all about it. Just, just, yep. Just get it out there. yeah, Yeah. So able though is the how, and that's where having a financial plan comes in because the plan is the support for the change. And um, I mean, we're not gonna put together a recommendation to accomplish a goal that can't get to the goal. And then again, it's the, yeah, we're gonna set it up. We're gonna implement, but then we get to reset. I mean, what if you had to the client take a break from that for a period of time because of whatever, I mean, whether planned or not planned, it's okay. So kind of back to I have that original thought of yours in my head of why would someone not want to come in and do a plan. So do the plan and we'll work around whatever it is. So that is the organizational influence. It's the organizational support. It's the how. And so that's the able. So it's ready, willing and able.
0: Which sounds so simple. But if you look at each one of those factors, they each contribute. And when you think about able, when you think about the how, is it truly, you know, if you are um, married, do you have the support of your spouse with this plan? Right? Do you have that organizational support? Can the plan you put in place realistically fit your lifestyle right now? Or do you have to, you know, is that how do you have that organizational support?
1: Yeah. Thank you. And you could even add to that. Is that. Is it time bound? Right. And it could be not just, oh, it's oh, there's the baby age zero and it's 18 and is our number of years. I mean, yes. it could be that it's going to go incrementally based on other things. So, yes, time bound frames that might change is fine and is the purpose correct is it clear i mean is the plan clear yes so it's kind of back to the important part for the client is to be a really excellent reporter and communicator with the advisor because you know communication is a two-way responsibility yes. so you know the advisor is going to be working really hard to make sure that they feel like communication is happening but for the client receiving the communication the client just must say stop, put on the brakes. I do not understand what you are proposing, you know? And so we've got to really have it be a clear process for that being able to happen. Right.
0: Yes. That goes back to the first thing that you said is that you are in a relationship with your financial advisor and that is there's responsibilities on both sides. Yes. Holy smokes. We are up on time and you have shared such an incredible amount. I mean, all the nuggets of information, um, the money scripts, the biases, the uh, matrix to how to make a change. You have shared just a wealth of knowledge, and you could tell that you literally kind of wrote the book on what, um, on, on consumer behavior. And when I say literally, literally, because you did publish a book, what you can do when you can't
1: tell us about that. Well, just kind of in a nutshell, um, and it is available on Amazon. So thanks for bringing it up. Of course, so, of course. Actually, I saw that it's on sale for $12.40. So it could be the best bit: $12.40. <laughs> so, well, I co-authored this with another manager in financial services. And we felt so fortunate that we were able to grow up professionally in the career of financial advising because we always had to have an answer. So the book is called What You Can Do When You Can't. Because when you look at the word can't, in there is the word can. So, and this is the case when you come to your financial advisor, we're going to look at what can you do? I mean, the list of things someone can't do is infinite, but we get to as individuals decide, what am I ready, willing and able to do, right? What can I do? And so the book is based on looking for what you can do. It is looking at setting goals. And making them really bite-sized goals and keeping everything as simple as one, two, three. If things get more complicated than a one, two, three, then we have to stand back, regroup, and make it just as simple as one, two, three. Because most of us can't handle setting goals for more than like three things at a time Mm -hmm. um, or prioritizing more than three things at a time. And Mm -hmm. that is just fine. So That's what it's about. And in every little chapter, it's an easy read. There's a little workbook, worksheet, couple self-reflection questions at the end of each chapter and just kind of a good walk through figuring out what is so wonderful about you and what can you do?
0: What you can do when you can't. That sounds amazing. Geralee, it's just been such a pleasure. You have opened my eyes and I hope so many of our listeners' eyes on some of our own behaviors and taught us to be a little bit more self-aware of something. So thank you so much for your time and thank you so much for your great work.
1: Thank you so much for having me today. This was fun.
0: Thank you for listening to Master Your Money. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcast. Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast. Every little bit helps. You can also follow us on our Instagram at Barnum Financial Group. If you're interested in connecting or working with a financial advisor at the Barnum Financial Group, the links are in the show notes of this episode.
1: All opinions expressed by the program participants are solely their current opinions and do not reflect the opinions their respective parent companies or affiliates or the companies with which the program participants are affiliated. Investments or strategies mentioned in this program may not be suitable for you, and you should make your own independent decision regarding them. This material does not take into account your particular investment objectives, financial situation, or needs, and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for you you should strongly consider seeking advice from your own investment advisor. Securities and investment advisory services offered through qualified registered
0: representatives of MML Investor Services, LLC. Member SIPC,
1: 6 Corporate Drive, Shelton, Connecticut, 06484, telephone number 203-513-6000.